Sports Blog New York Podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy. I am your host. The Sports Blog New York Podcast is on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, App, Google Play, SoundCloud. Of course, on sportsblognewyork.com. Don't forget to hit us on Twitter at sportsblognyc or my personal Twitter at pkennedy with two Y's. Uh, but joining me today, last week you were just an interviewee. Now you are the co-host of the Sports Blog New York Podcast, Gabe Allen. I told you I wanted to have you back for the draft, and now you're here. We have so much to talk about NBA draft this week. First off, how excited are you for this draft? Well, I'm excited. I'm moving up in the world, co-hosting now. All yeah. right. One and done. All you needed was one interview just to get it <laughs> off the schneid, and now you're officially co-host. And I don't even feel exploited. This is, <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> That's because we pay the big bucks over here. Um, yeah, babe. Gabe, I know I was, we were just talking before we started recording that you know we're recording this on Monday night, and if we waited any other days, I, I, I might have gone crazy. I might have flip-flopped a lot of my ideas because the more I read, the more I watch, the more I think, the more I like get second-guess myself. So I'm happy we're laying this down on the track now. But before we get to the draft, I have a very important question to ask you. And it could be the chip that really changes the draft, or it could not really play a role until free agency comes around. But, Gabe, putting you on the spot, first question out of the gate, will Kawhi Leonard be traded by the end of Thursday night? Uh, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say the Spurs are going to be patient and let it play out. Um, I, I just, I don't know. For some reason, I just can't imagine a, a world where Kawhi Leonard is not a Spur quite yet. So I'm going to say no. What do you think? Well, first, let me ask you, is your no with the mindset that Pop is not giving up yet or that the Spurs think they still have a chance to reel him back in or do you think they're just waiting to make sure this package is uh, the right one for them well I think probably a little bit of all three of those I mean a healthy sprinkling of each of those probably yeah it's really tough man I mean you think about the possible people who can trade it's two Sacramento they're a wild card but I just can't like I can't imagine Kawhi and his group saying, "Yeah, we'll leave San Antonio to go to Sacramento." Like that's not happening. If you trade for Kawhi, it'll be a waste because he's not going to resign there. The same thing with Memphis, who's looking to make some moves possibly. And I look at these teams who have actual assets in regards to draft night. None of those teams feel like the team that Kawhi is going to want to stay with after his last year of the contract. And that's really where I agree with you because I just don't think the Spurs are rushing this one. I think we've uh, learned enough about the Spurs in our lifetime that they are they don't mess around. They don't just make split decisions. Uh, they're well thought out, and they're a smart organization. They're not going to make a trade just to make a trade. So it seems like we're on the same page with that one. Uh, but you, you think anybody besides who, – who do you have like that would make a run at them that might, be, have, might have a decent shot besides like a Cleveland, Boston, maybe Philly? Well, I think the Lakers have a chance for sure. I just, I just know that there's been rumblings of the Spurs not wanting to trade him into the Western Conference, which I totally get to a point. I get it to the point of you know, you don't want to be facing this guy over and over again, but also you got to take the best package. And if the Lakers have the best package, you do what you got to do. That being said, I think the Celtics could put together the best package. I don't think they need to, and I don't think they're going to. And that's because I think they have that much faith in the Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum combo. 
that they don't even need Kawhi Leonard, if that sounds not that crazy. <laughs> not the, like it's crazy to say out loud that a team doesn't need Kawhi Leonard, but you know, Jalen Brown, raw guy out of college, much further along in his first two years than Kawhi Leonard was. So, I mean, this guy seems like he wants to be a star, Jalen Brown. Do you really want to give him up now? No, I, I don't think so. But to me, I think those three Eastern teams, because they have picks, I just think that, I mean, the Lakers, with all due respect to their young pieces, I think the Spurs, if they're going to trade Kawhi, I think it's going to be for draft picks. I think it's going to be guys that they want to draft and have right from the start. Uh, I don't know why exactly I feel like that, but I don't know. It just seems like they're not going to, I don't feel like they're going to trap, they're going to be trading for an, a, an, a, a player that's already been in the league for a year, even. I could see the Grizzlies being a candidate solely based on the fact that their owner thinks they're like, a, they're still a really good team. So I could see the, the, the Spurs just like, Ooh, I'm here for that. Ready? I'm, like, here, the, I'm here for some, okay, yeah. Ready? Shoot, so shoot, shoot that grit and grind into my veins. I'm here for that. <laughs> Let's go. Exactly. So the, the, the Grizzlies want to do two things. They want to compete right now, and they want to get the hell rid of Chandler Parsons. So the Spurs spitefully send Kawhi Leonard to, to Memphis, and they actually have a pretty good team. But the only way I see that actually happening is if Luka Doncic is available at the number four pick. Because I think the Spurs would absolutely be elated to grab Luka Doncic in this draft somehow. Yeah, I I, I know we've been, been here, we've been seeing, hearing the uh, a lot of doubt about Doncic, but I just still have a hard time seeing him fall that far. But yeah, I think I think you're right. That would probably be the guy. Obviously, I mean, I could, I'm going to shout out Jaron Jackson Jr. If he's there at four, I think that's that's a, that's just as good a move for the Spurs. But um, the likelihood, I don't know, is probably very low. Like, and then what else is Memphis going to? Because I mean, if you're taking on Parsons, if the Spurs are taking on Parsons, they're going to want more than number four, presumably for Kawhi Leonard. Oh yeah, I hope. I mean, so I mean, I don't know what else they have in terms of. I mean, Deontay Davis is a decent backup big. I don't. I mean, I just don't know what they have in terms of uh, what they can give up. Dylan Brooks. Is, yeah, I was going to say Dylan Brooks feels like he could work for the Spurs. <laughs> Yeah, I just want, I would just wonder like if if another team could could top that offer, or yeah. if at that point the Spurs are going to say, ah, we'll we'll just be patient. I think that's the most likely scenario, and I, I haven't really thought this one out yet. What the Kings or Hawks or uh, Grizzlies can offer, but it's in the it's in the realm of possibilities. It's in the realm. But without further ado, Gabe, I think it's time for us to get into our draft talk. So this is the Sports Blog New York Podcast NBA Draft Special. It's one of my favorite times of the entire year. I mean, I sprinkle in NBA draft nuggets into episodes in, like, December because <laughs> I just can't get enough of these guys, um, whether they're playing in college, whether they're Luka Doncic across seas, playing in Eurobasket, which we got to see uh, Luka play in. Um, it's a really exciting time, and it's one of these moments where you can, ha- you can have two very, very different opinions about the same exact guy. We, wa- we watch the same games, the same YouTube clips, and we could think very differently. So, Gabe, without further ado... I want to start off with you uh, because you are a member of the SportsDaily.com, specifically of the Lottery Mafia, uh, and you and your fellow co-host from the Lottery Mafia did did your mock draft podcast, and you had quite, well, let me say this, you had what is presumed to be quite the hot take to kick off that mock draft. So I want to go to you first, and I want you to explain yourself on who you think is the number one prospect in this NBA draft. Yeah. So, I mean, I think a lot of times we just get set into some kind of thinking where, okay, these are the top two prospects in the draft. These are the top three. These are the whatever you have, like some kind of idea of, oh, these are guaranteed to be the best guys when like 
I don't know. Just people need to be a little bit more open-minded. A lot of times you realize a guy like Giannis slips, you have whatever Embiid slipping to three, Michael Jordan slipping to three, lots of great players slipping out of that top two. So hey, you have this conversation, Aiton and Doncic. And, and I think, you know, those two guys are definitely worthy of, of the hype. Uh, great players. I would be, I would throw Jaron Jackson Jr.'s name into the ring, especially with Phoenix being at that top pick he had the worst defensive team in the league last year. I think he's a guy that is a perfect modern center. Uh, and to me, a lot of times he's, he's a perfect, uh, example of, of a lot of a situation that you see in college with scouting a lot, which is, uh, his, his stats weren't that great last year His per game stats. And, but if you look, if you're looking too much at stats, then you end up with, and, and let me preface this by saying that I'm not saying that any of the big men from this year's draft class are going to be Jalil Okafor, but when you start looking at stats too much and per game numbers, then you end up with Jalil Okafor over like Miles Turner or something. So, or, you know, that uh, you have Devin Booker slipping to the 13th pick or, or so on and so forth. The point is a lot of times we would get too bogged down in per game stats and we need to look at what these guys are doing at, at a certain level and what's going to translate to the next level. And to me, most of what Jaron Jackson Jr. does is going to translate, uh, at least I think. Uh, so, I mean, I think it's right now it's a hot take, but defensively, I think he's far ahead of Aiton. Maybe I'm underselling Aiton, but, and maybe I'm a little bit too high on Jaron Jackson. But to me, I see a lot of Kevin Garnett on that end. And then the stuff that he does on offense, hitting threes, attacking closeouts, and, you know, diving to the rim and catching, finishing. Uh, I just, I don't see, I don't see a, a world where he fought, where he fails. I feel like he's got star upside on both ends. So I think he's a pretty safe, safe guy. And I also don't buy the narrative that he has, uh, any less of upside than any of these other guys. He's actually younger than any of these guys that are at the top that are in this conversation. He's actually even younger than Garnett. Uh, Kevin Garnett was when he was going into his rookie year and he came out of high school. So I think the one thing I really I really felt the most on that is that DeAndre Ayton kind of well, well Jaron Jackson you have a guy who nobody's really thinking he's a bust right you get people who are really high on him like you and I know like Jonathan Charks from the Ringer loves Jaron Jackson also has him first on his board like guys like you two are perceived perce- does he have him ahead of John ahead of Doncic now uh oh maybe on his specific I, I know he did for a while he may not at the moment but I know he did for a while and he definitely hypes him up to a pretty similar level that you do and that's fine and no not a lot of people really dispute what you guys are doing they just think there's other people who might be better no one that I've seen at least puts Jaron Jackson in a bust category there are some real haters out there though for the DeAndre Aytons the Marvin Bagley's the Luka Doncic maybe it's because they're a little bit more high profile and with a higher profile comes more scrutiny. But I hear people really pick at DeAndre Ayton. I don't really hear people pick at Jaron Jackson. I just don't hear as many people lifting him up to that level. My question then becomes to you, what are the top three things that Jaron Jackson does that transfer directly into the NBA that DeAndre Ayton may lack in? Uh, I mean, covering, covering along the perimeter on defense, switching, switching defense. I mean, you basically saw that Buffalo team just – took him out to the perimeter and then danced on him uh, in that first round loss in the tournament. You know, you have Jackson is, is a guy that switches seamlessly on the perimeter and he protects the rim. Uh, I mean, those that's two things on defense, switching on the perimeter and then protecting the rim. I mean, granted, we'll say Aiton didn't play center, but neither did Jaron Jackson and he protected the rim like a beast. 
So, I mean, we can make an excuse for Aiton, but at the same time, we have to realize that he was in the same position on defense. Jaron Jackson was in the same position on defense playing the four. So, uh, and then on offense, he's already hitting the three at a 40% rate. So, I mean, and and he could, I mean, yeah, obviously Aiton can finish, but those are the three things I would say. Three-point shooting, he's already doing that. And then switching and covering on the perimeter and, and and at the rim. And when we talk about a modern big, those are the three things we ask for. We ask for uh, some some switchability. We ask for rim protection and not being a clog in the middle of the paint on offense. And, and what I've really been thinking about and tossing around the past, you know, 24 hours, honestly, it's a kind of a new thought for me. I've been watching a ton of tape. I, re- I rewatched DeAndre Ayton because he was one of the first guys I watched. You know, he's one of the most exciting guys out there. His body is absolutely incredible. He uh, jumps through the roof. He's strong. He's huge. He's imposing as soon as you see him on the floor around college kids, right? And it made me start thinking about Marvin Bagley compared to DeAndre Ayton because Bagley, in my eyes, had dropped down and slowly started creeping back up, and, and, and here's why. People, are, people, including myself, are calling Marvin Bagley uh, a very high-possibility guy to become an empty stats man. 20-10, and 10, looks great, never really leads to winning basketball. The more I watch DeAndre Ayton's tape over from this year, the, anything I can get my hands on, the more I see him settling for jump shots, taking these fadeaway shots that he's not hitting at a high clip. He's still getting 20 points just by absolutely abusing college athletes when he's in and around the rim. If he starts settling for those shots and thinking he's some shooter, starting shooting threes like he uh, and, and wants to average 25 points a game, be the best player on an offense, I don't see how he's leading to wins either. Because the, the couple knocks on DeAndre Ayton are his defensive motor and his defensive instincts. And then the third thing is him settling for these jump shots. And when I see that, and I compare him to Marvin Bagley, I don't see how I can't also put on my radar that DeAndre Ayton can become an empty stats guy as well, a la a Boogie Cousins. Do you see that comparison at all? Do you feel like he can become an empty stats guy as well? Well, uh, Boogie Cousins is a darn good player, but... That aside, uh, well, early early I, career Boogie Cousins, especially though. Yeah, I mean, to me, I think that's that's a pretty high that's a pretty high projection for him. Um, the guys that okay, so here are my projections. Here are my uh, comps for the for the for those guys. I'll ask you what you think of them. So uh, DeAndre Ayton, one of the guys I compared him to was Nick Vucevic, right? So he's stepped out over the last couple of years and started hitting that three a lot and he'll get you 20 and 10 when he's healthy. And again, just not really a for a winning team, right? Orlando's been stuck in the mud. Yes. And, and, and you know, so it's, so it's right to question what is he really contributing to success well, v- on the v- team? I would say v- Vucevic isn't the physically imposing person on the court that Aiton should be. Uh, but otherwise I feel the comparisons. And he's not the sure, athlete sure. Aiton is either. He's probably a little more skilled than him at the, at this yes, point. Better but, touch for sure. Yeah. So and and I mean the, and the caveat being that that you know there's some shades of like an Amari in there, but again like not a great defender, a guy that could get you buckets in the post. So those two guys and then I don't know you you hear that David Robinson is thrown around there a lot. I, I'd like to think you know maybe there's probably a ten percent chance uh, of him reaching that kind of level. I mean it's there. You, you can't like look at him and playing basketball and say, oh, there's no chance that he becomes amazing. <laughs> there certainly is. That's a good point because when you look at him on the floor, you're like, holy hell, that guy's amazing. That guy's incredible. <laughs> now for Bagley, I 
I just feel like he's not a guy that I would draft assuming that he can play the five. I would want that to be an end up, end up where he plays. But to me, he's a guy that reminds me more of Thaddeus young, like a little bit taller version of that. Like he's got all these really crafty finishes, real smooth lefty floaters, all kinds of shots can step out. He can put the ball on the floor. He's really good in the open court and the fast break and on the offensive glass. So on. So I think, you know, I think Thad is a, is a really uh, underrated player, and he was a big part of the Pacers being what they were this year. You know, he's he hasn't ever been a guy that's put up a lot of stats, but he's been a guy that's gotten better every year. So I think just the problem is like you know, again, like the high the higher echelon comparison for him was is like Chris Bosh in my mind. Anyways, if he ends up you know being really good on defense and settles in as a five and really kind of fulfills his potential, I think. There's like, you know, again, like 10%, maybe, maybe more. I don't know. I, I, I go back and forth on those two guys, but I could definitely see, see either one of them being kind of a hollow stats kind of guy. Uh, is there a guy, is there one of those two that you favor? I mean, uh, to this point, I think whether it was groupthink in, uh, encouraged by groupthink or whether it was my own thoughts, I was just saying DeAndre Ayton was a better prospect than Marvin Bagley. But in the past, like, four or five days, I've really been starting to even those two guys out. And I watch Marvin Bagley, and the fact that he literally is so afraid to use his right hand really, really scares me. I mean, I, in all the, the, the games I could find of him on YouTube, there I saw him go to his right hand once, and it was it was ugly. It was really, really bad. And I'm afraid that at the next level, too many players are smart enough to know he can't use his right hand, force him to use... Uh, to take tough shots with the left, and and he he seems like the guy who will force it. What really scares me about Marvin Bagley, and this is going to sound messed up, is that if he lands on Sacramento, I think he's screwed. I think he's literally screwed. I don't have enough faith in that team to to lead Marvin Bagley to become a good all around player. I think he's a rookie of the year candidate, and to be quite honest, if I had to put money on it, I probably put my money on him to become rookie of the year. I don't know what that okay. means in year five. So I, I, that, I still but... I still kind of lean DeAndre Ayton. I can't get past the physicality uh, of him. Um, but my my number one pick is without a doubt, no question, Luka Doncic. Yeah, I mean, uh, Luka's great. I mean, I, I'm not I'm not here to talk to talk trash on Luka. I just think for me, at the top of the draft, if I have a chance to to grab a guy that can be as good as. Jaron Jackson's going to be on defense. I think he's going to be on defense and, and also be a high level contributor on offense. There's just not a lot of centers that have that kind of potential. Now, how so. about how about this question for you? Uh, rank fits. So go through DeAndre and Marvin Bagley and Jaron Jackson for their okay. ca- career specifically. Where would it be best for them to land? Okay, so yeah, I, I put out an article last week uh, that you know got some some positive feedback and some negative feedback. So that that means it must not have been terrible. Must have been okay, um, and uh, you know, filled with hot takes, of course. And, and so, pretty much every—not every big man, but if most of the big men at the top of the draft—I had ahead of those two guys. I had it's kind—it of, was kind of the idea was to to combine the mock draft with a big board and, and find a happy medium where where uh, not so much a happy medium, but more so kind of what who who I think should take who uh, in the draft, and, and so so that everyone can can uh, work out well and in their career and, and the teams will work out well. Best I just, in my philosophy, I just think that fit is something that's really undersold. So, uh, I had, I actually had them going eight and nine 
to Cleveland and New York with, uh, I mean, with the idea being that Aiton would kind of step in as a hopeful franchise player for Cleveland, uh, you know, maybe playing alongside Kevin Love at least as long as he's there. Uh, and then New York grabbing Beasley. I mean, yeah, there you go. <laughs> grabbing grabbing uh, potentially the next Michael Beasley. Maybe he's going to turn out to be a little better than Beasley, even though Beasley's come around a bit late. And maybe he's going to, you know, have the, have the last laugh um, in terms of his career. So, so you, so you had think, DeAndre Ayton. You think his best fit could be Cleveland, and you say Marvin Bagley's best fit can be New York. Now, because this is the Sports Blog New York podcast, I must ask, why do you think Marvin Bagley would fit well with this roster in New York? Well, I think the I think at that point it's again it's it's going it's who's left on the board and, okay, and okay. what and what like that team should do. So, so this at that is a point, best yeah. case scenario draft. I mean, the point is I have these guys dropping. I don't think that they're. I don't think that Aiton is a great fit. You know, as what for for that for any of these teams ahead of him. I mean, you put him. We'll go down the list. I mean, Chicago. You put him with Markin and he took, he did a lot of trash talking of Markin. I'm sure they can get past that, but <laughs> <laughs> he was like he was going on about. Marketing played the outs, wanted to play on the perimeter, and that's why Arizona wasn't good the year before. So they'll they'll have some good practices in the beginning of the year if he goes to Chicago. Not gonna happen, but does Bobby it, does Bobby Portis step in though? That's the yeah, question. Yeah, exactly. So so I I don't think that's a fit defensively. I think that's a disaster. Uh, Orlando, we I mean I just com- did the Nick Vucevic comparison. Dallas, I think Aiton, you know Rick Carlisle will be Rick Carlisle will be pulling his hair out. What's left of it? Um, Memphis, I mean, if you can trade Gasol, yeah, but I mean, this is a guy, Aiton, again, he has really high expectations of himself with good reason. And, and, but he says, I'm the first pick, you know, I'm the first pick of the draft. You think he's going to be cool with being the fourth pick and then, oh, you're going to have to fight for a starting spot with Marcus all. I don't think so. So like, what do they, I mean, I'd be kind of intrigued to see them roll both of them out there, even though it'd probably be a disaster. Um, I, yeah, and then like Atlanta, I just like okay, I mean maybe the definitely Lloyd Pierce has some experience working with uh, talented big men. Shout out to Joel, um, but I mean I just think you put him in a situation like that where they don't really have much of anything going on right now, and he's kind of going to have to be like the franchise again. Like I, but to me it's like I would just take guys like Wendell Carter or Bamba or Jackson. Like if I'm going to go for a big man, I w- I would take those three guys over. Aiton and Bagley. I'm definitely in the minority there. Yeah, um, it, it is definitely a minority take right there. I mean, those two I think guys. That, are... I think that there are some people that that ha- that would agree on the Jackson and um, Carter takes, but I think I'm. I think a lot of people have been pushing Bamba down on their boards. It's, 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 it's a really it's a really interesting thing here. What ha- what happens in these last two weeks before the draft? Like the season's over, especially since we had a short final this year. You know, no one's really talking about. Uh, regular season baseball, the NFL has a couple sprinkled storylines here and there about who's showing up to camp and who's not, but nothing crazy. So now it's the time for all the quote-unquote blog boys, shout out Kevin Durant, to just kind of like play around with all this stuff and really kick around all the possibilities and all the options and who looks good against the chair, who looks good shooting threes with no defenders. And, you know, Mo Bamba, he has that week where he puts the video out. He's draining three after three after three. You know, people start climbing him up the board. And then people, you know, realize, ah, uh, you know, maybe that was one good video. Let's settle him back down. <laughs> but DeAndre, when DeAndre Ayton sits in front of a podium and says, I'm not even working out for another team. I'm the number one pick. That's got to be a weird thing if he doesn't go number one. 
Do you, Definitely. So now let's take away because we got to move on to some of these other prospects. We're talking about all these bigs for for a minute. Um, yeah, just one last thing on that. Yeah, I just I'd be I that's good. What's going to happen? It seems like that Aiden's going to go number one. I, I just I'm just worried that with him and Booker, I mean that's a really good offensive duo, but I just they were the worst defense in the league. I just don't see how Aiden's. I mean, we'll see. And then I can convince myself at number two. If Sacramento takes him, I might just change my my mind, my whole perspective on Aiden because I could maybe I could maybe mess with a weird like maybe upgraded version of Albert Payton and Vucevic as like Fox and Aiton or something. I could maybe that's mess actually, with that. That's actually kind of funny. I like that. That is the upgraded Alfred Payton Nick Vucevic. Because well, like you're so used to seeing like the offensive. I mean, and then wait, upgraded Evan Fournier, point guards really thriving, and then really defensive-minded center. So then you flip that on its head, and it's like, okay, you have Fox. I mean, he's pretty good on offense, but upgrade. Wait, so upgraded Evan Fournier is Bogdan Bogdanovich. There you go. Right, we just keep this going along the whole line. (laughs) Exactly. That's funny. Um, So your your call, not what you think should happen, what you think you would do, but what you think will happen. Do you think it'll be DeAndre at number one? I mean, it sure seems like it. Yeah, I agree. But, but I mean, I just, you know, obviously they, they have uh, Kokoshkov. You know, I mean, that's that's a factor still, I think. I mean, it's going to be really awkward if he's not picked first. It will be, for sure. Oh, the green room is going to be a crazy place. Oh, man. Barclays Center. I'm thinking about going to the draft on Thursday. I haven't decided yet because it's in Brooklyn. I'm not too far away. But I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I might, might enjoy watching it on TV a little more, to be quite honest. So we'll see. Do you put your phone down? Oh, my phone will not be uh, near me while the picks are even close to being made. Like, oh, I, see, I man, I gotta know. I gotta know right then and there. Now, like after the pick is announced, I'll pick my phone up, check Twitter and and whatnot. But I, I yeah. want to hear it. I want to hear it. Um, all right. So I want to talk about Luka Doncic quick before we move on to some of these other guys. I know we talked about Luka already, and I, I, I kind of want to task you with playing devil's advocate here because I know you had to do that before on your on your uh, respective podcast here. Sure. Sure. So. There are a couple negatives that I've been hearing uh, regarding Luka Doncic. One is the athleticism or lack thereof. Um, one is his shooting has gone down, and two and three is that he uh, is playing in Europe, and you know Alexi Shved has led that league in scoring before, right? So my response to that is that this guy has been playing more basketball than any of these college guys. These college guys play 30 to 40 games tops if they make it far in the tournament, uh, maybe count some preseason games. It's like 30 to 40 games. This guy has played for almost 18 straight months of basketball because in between his uh, current season and his previous season, he had the Eurobasket in which he played an incredible amount of NBA players, including um, maybe five or six guys from Spain, three guys from Croatia. He he took Porzingis to the rack a couple times. He's playing men. He won the MVP in one of the best leagues. And I think that has something to do with his athleticism and shot kind of falling off later in the season. When I see this league and I see Luka Doncic, I see a 6'8 guy who could handle the ball. He has great body control. He has great playmaking ability. He's not going to be a 40% not lights-out knockdown shooter, but can be a very good shooter and a guy who can shoot off the dribble. I see him checking all the boxes of the modern NBA. I think the one thing that size. you just touched the one thing that you just touched on in terms of his uh ball or in terms of his body control. I think that's one one of the things that's definitely underrated and people tend to think of athleticism as being able to run and jump, but you know, he can think the game and and he's not unathletic. I mean, he will rise up and dunk on people. Right. He's not it's not like this is just 
you know, I mean, but I think you know, and, a lot and, of times. An, another thing I've been thinking about, and I think I've heard it on uh, a couple of podcasts now too. Maybe, maybe uh, I forget. I've been listening to a lot. It might have been Simmons draft party, whatever it was. Uh, Jaron Jackson, for example, playing in the low twenties minutes. Wendell Carter in the in the mid low mid low twenties minutes per game. This guy, yeah, this guy, Luka Doncic, that too. right? And this guy, Luka, I and mean, I guess Towns is a bad example since he's played eighty two every single year. But yeah. Luka Doncic has been playing strenuous minutes with longer seasons with less off time, and he's the same age as them, if not younger than some of them. So obviously, he's going to be a little tired, right? Right, like. It's it's tough for me to criticize the guy's athleticism and shot going from thirty seven percent from three to thirty three percent when he's been now played like eighty ninety games in the past year and a half. Yeah, see, to me, I'm not I'm not that concerned about him missing shots. To me, it's more he's he's still taking them and he's taking. The point is, defense has to know that you'll take the shots that he'll take, and he's not just like a chucker either. Like I would say, if you were to like just go from zero to a hundred, there's no reason for us to do that, but. If you were, then Trey Young is a chucker and, and Doncic is a dimer, right? I mean, they obviously can both do a little, do plenty of both. But if you want to, you know, if you want somebody that's going to be diming, then it's Doncic. Yeah, I mean, he does he does it all. And I just look at this league and I see all the best teams every year, and it comes down to the Eastern Western Conference Finals. Everybody has a guy who has the real size to him, could handle a little bit of a beating. Is you know whether you consider James Harden a wing or not, all these guys have wing or wing adjacent players who could handle the ball and do multiple things on the court. And in this draft, he is to me by far the best at that realm of the game. He can handle the ball, he can shoot the ball, he can take it to the rack, and he can play make for others. Defensively, there are plenty of players, maybe James Harden being one of them, who don't live up to the hype of uh, being an average defender, even sometimes. I could live with that. I can live with him maybe being a little slow on defense if he's averaging, you know, 18 points, seven rebounds, and six assists. So, I don't know. I, I think Luka Doncic is my surefire number one pick, and I'm going to be very interested to see where he goes. Yeah, I, I, can definitely, I can definitely live with Doncic as a number one pick for sure. I have him number two. Uh, again, to me, it just comes down to defense. I tend to weigh defense a little higher than most people. Um and, you know, I, I, I just wonder, as great as he's going to be on offense, is he going to be superstar level or just all-star level? And then on defense, is he going to be the fifth? Is he going to be, when he's on the court in these, you know, big games, is he going to be the fifth worst? Is he going to be the worst defender on his team? So, is you know, are teams like Houston that want to try to find the, the weak defender, so to speak, are they going to, is that going to be a guy? The only other concern I have is diet. Man, the guy eats, like, trash but then again we all did when we were that age right <laughs> you could kind of hope that you know once he makes it over here uh his pro nba training staff doesn't allow that to happen <laughs> yeah i mean i think he's gonna be really good i think he's one of the guys where I, I don't think it really matters much where he goes he's gonna be a good player all right so we've talked about deandre and marvin bagley jaron jackson and luka Doncic. a little bit about mo bamba is there anybody else uh in this lottery or maybe later i don't know that you could really give a chance to become the best player in the draft. So anybody in the 5 through 12 range that you can sincerely see becoming the best player in this draft and why? Yeah, sure. I mean, I'll give a shout out to his Zaireness, uh Zaire Zaire Smith. I you know, I just think his his game screams star. 
especially if he really Ooh. figures out that jumper. I like that because he has some insane athleticism. Yeah, and I mean, again, he's just a guy that thinks the game, plays the game unselfishly, does the little things. I mean, I'm a sucker. I'm just a sucker for some of the things that he does. He's a you know guard type of for, guard forward playing as a big man and, and has all these big man skills. So it's part of it's just a, a little personal bias. But I, I think you know, I think the, it's definitely in the cards. Um, yeah. I'm uh, Let me stop I you there before you say another guy. I'm, assu- I'm assuming this is going to be a real trend on Thursday night, whether you're watching some sort of live feed on the Yahoo feed or the Ringer feed or watching live on ESPN. There is going to be the Donovan. Who is the Donovan Mitchell of the draft, right? There's going to be that Donovan Mitchell comparison. Zaire Smith is definitely a candidate. You know, he's 6'4". He didn't really prove to have all of uh, the uh, jump shot touch in college kind of like Donovan Mitchell. He has the athleticism. He can finish with both hands around the rim. He can dunk on people's heads. You know, if he shows up in summer league knocking down threes, it's going to be like, oh, did we miss on Donovan Mitchell again? Zaire yeah, Smith is definitely Mitchell was, a candidate. Mitchell, I think, was a, was a lot better three-point shooter. But, I mean, it, it wasn't something that he was really being asked to do. And he wasn't doing, he wasn't doing it that poorly. Uh, Smith, that is. He wasn't doing it that poorly. I mean, he was really spot, good on the spot the, up. Right, very good spot up jump shooter. Uh, right, Zaire right. Smith. It just wasn't. It just didn't seem like a. I mean, I don't know. I don't see him playing the kind of role that that Mitchell does, especially not right away, where he's like running the offense and like just making stuff happen like that. I think he's more a guy that at least I would like to see him kind of be built up like like a Kawhi, where he's you know kind of more affecting the game on defense right away, and maybe you have like a spot for him in the corner, not really maybe running a ton of plays for him or like. You know, maybe you get him some high post looks and get him uh, screening and stuff, get him involved with like off ball action, stuff like that. So I, I don't know if he's like, going to be a guy that like has the ball like that. Um, I, yeah, to me, I just I don't think there's really that guy out there that that has like that's going to be anything like Donovan Mitchell. I mean, I just think that's just so rare. I remember uh, I forget who wrote it, but CBSSports.com had Lonnie Walker as their Donovan Mitchell of the draft. He's a guy who basically wants Bruce Brown of Miami, who's also in this draft, probably a second rounder um, or late first guy. When he went down from Miami, Lonnie Walker really stepped up as being that number one scoring option and had that those couple games in the twenties, games in the mid teens, consistently. He has a skill set. He has a good body. He can shoot a little bit. He's another guy you'll probably hear could be that guy. But before we uh, go more into some of those guys, I want to ask you about Michael Porter. He is the guy who might be most polarizing. He might have taken most polarizing now from Trey Young with all these medical stories or non-stories, who has his uh, physicals and who doesn't. He he has a jump shot. Michael Porter can shoot. He's 6'11". Those are two things we know, right? What yeah, what facts. else What else do we actually know about Michael Porter? Um, well, he's a vegan. Um, is that so? His trainer eats like 30 bananas a day. Let's see if I got any more fun facts. Doesn't that like, doesn't that block you up? Make it a little hard to poop? I don't know. Uh, no, man. Can't, <laughs> can't be doubting the fruits and veggies, man. I, I mean, I eat, I eat my fair share of bananas, but I also uh, spread some peanut butter on it. So I don't know if that well, balances out or not. <laughs> well, he's a big fan of the peanut butter too. Yeah. Now that you mention it. Good to know. Um, Good to know. I, I'm starting to like this guy actually. Yeah, I mean, yeah, what the question is, what do you know about this guy? And I mean, obviously we don't know anything about his medicals and stuff. Um, I mean, you know, there's plenty there's plenty of intrigue about particular offensively. 
but I just think for me, there's enough question marks that I would be hesitant to. Like, you know, I, I just would be really shocked if the Kings take him at two. It would just seem like kind of one of those like Kings things to do. I mean, maybe he ends up being great, and maybe it's even for them. I don't know, but it just seems like one of those things that would just be really far-fetched until it happens. <laughs> being that he was the number one prospect coming into this college season before the injury, do you think he's in the realm of possibilities to become the best player in the draft? Uh, sure. Why not? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think there's, I think there's more intrigue with him than a guy like, I mean, we saw what, I don't know what Harry Giles was rated when he was before the season last year, but obviously he was he pretty was, high. He was number one high school prospect. I'm not sure where he was on draft boards before the season, but he was a number one recruit. Right. So like, yeah, before he had all his injuries and stuff, like, you know, and he was still pretty highly rated, I think, when he was playing for most of the year, and he just gradually, I think, kept falling and falling. So, I mean, I just think there's too many, like, situations where it's like, oh, I don't know. I mean, it's tough to say. I mean, the last guy you can think of where it was like, oh, had some of these, what was it, a back thing, right? And, uh, Correct, and now it's a and hip. lingering hip, yep. Yeah, so, like, Embiid. But it's like, I mean, it's not. I'm not going to I'm not gonna compare that to... I'm not going to compare Porter to Embiid, though. It's just not really fair. So is there a team that stands out to you who might be a team that would give you some confidence in regards to Michael Porter? Because obviously there's a team like, you know, no offense to any Magic fan who I doubt are listening to this podcast, but if there's a Magic fan out there, I'm sorry. If Michael Porter went to the Magic, my my trust level would drop drastically. If, yeah, if, see, I'm just all in on Trey Young for them. They need Trey Young so, so badly. It's so perfect. That is correct. Oh, man. All right, well, actually, let's jump to him. But before we do that, let me just say this about Michael Porter. Michael Porter has some serious touch. He has some serious confidence. That man is a shooter, and he's going to shoot. So when you see him come rookie time, whether it be in summer league or the regular season, because I doubt he'll play in summer league if he's all injured or whatever, uh, he is not afraid to shoot. You saw it in Missouri. He played like three games or whatever it was, and he came in hobbling around, clearly not fully healthy, still getting his shots. He's going to shoot. Uh, so I don't know where he's going, but he's going to shoot. What he needs to work on is the handle, uh, the lateral quickness on defense, and you know being a little bit better of a playmaker. But in regards to offense, scoring, he's got that in the bag already. So if he's healthy, expect him to be putting up some points. Uh, in the NBA. Well, like mother like son. Uh, his mother dropped 54 points a game in high school. Another little fun fact. Ooh. Sheesh. That's, so, that's, so that's where he gets his scoring touch. Good to know. Damn. And his dad was his coach growing up as well. Another fun fact. A lot of fun facts about Michael Porter. All right. <laughs> so we've talked about five guys hardcore. That leaves us at Orlando. We both agree. Trey Young is just perfect for them. They, they've been starved of real shooters. Like they've had theoretical shooters for a long time now. Trey Young can shoot whether you like him or not, guy's a shooter. Why do we like Trey Young for the Magic so much, Gabe? Yeah, they just need a playmaker, whether it's passing, shooting. They need what he brings to the table offensively. They need an offensive hub. I mean, I think you look at that team with Isaac and Gordon, maybe even Biombo, you wouldn't do. They have some guys that are long. Maybe, obviously, Biombo's not going stick, to stick around for long, I wouldn't imagine. But the point is they have long guys that I think you can start to – see how maybe they can hide Trey Young, and they just really need some offense. They need to insert that. And I think uh, back to your question about who's a guy that might kind of slip through the cracks that might actually be the best player in the draft, I'll just say, I mean, I think we tend to we tend to overlook skill sometimes uh, in favor of, uh, you know, 
physical uh, advantages. And, and let's not let's not overlook too much what kind of skill this guy has. Personally, I was very lukewarm to cold on Trey Young during most of the season. When he was super, super hot, I said, just wait until they start focusing on him. He's going he's gonna to slow down. And more or less, I was right in that regard. But as the season started to go on and he kind of tried to adjust to defenses just absolutely honing in on him, he proved that he has more than just a long three ball. He has that layup package. He has the floaters. He has both hands when he goes to the hoop. He has very good body control. And it was that game against Rhode Island. Uh, if you remember from the, the first round of the NCAA, uh, the NCAA tournament, Trey Young was the cog offensively. He basically, by himself, brought them into overtime where they finally lost to Rhode Island. But he didn't do it all from the three-point line. In fact, he had a couple threes in the first half and really cooled off until late in the second half, but was able to get to the foul line, was able to get to the rim. And he has everything you look for in a smaller guard, the ability to handle the ball on a string, the ability to uh, control his body and use it to protect himself from getting blocked. So on one hand, I do totally agree with you, but Gabe, I got to call you out for a hot second. You say that you value defense more than most. Well, for my big men, I definitely want my big men. If I'm going to have a weak guy on the court defensively, I want him to be my point guard. Cause that's what's, right. I mean, look, look around the playoffs this year. Even Terry Rozier, who's a pretty good uh, defensive point guard was getting picked on in the playoffs. How does Trey right, Young right. not get just picked on in the NBA? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, LeBron was playing the broken hand, but I mean, you look at the finals. I'm not saying that I definitely don't think that Young is going to reach Curry's level, especially on defense. But at the same time, you saw how many times they tried to switch on to and have Curry cover LeBron. And I, you know, I mean, I, I'm not going to pr- pretend like I know the stat, but point is, he wasn't really scoring like at all when those switches would happen. So, you know, again, you're going to get you're going to get beat some for some points there with Young, but I just think what he does on offense might be enough to more to make up for it. So, like, yeah, again, at the end of the day, just I'll take a, a point guard that might not be great on offense, but center, it's, he's got to be. He's got to be doing the job on D. If not the magic, where? Oof. Um, I mean, I guess maybe if you're trying to keep LeBron there, maybe Cleveland made it work with Kyrie. I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, I think at that point, you know, he's a great, he's a great value at that point, wherever he goes. I could, you know, I don't, I think him and Markin is about as bad a defensive fit as you can get, but I mean, I don't, <laughs> yeah. the you know, Bulls, I, the Bulls is probably the one no, no, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not at the point where I necessarily would or wouldn't draft anybody based on Markin. I mean, he's a good, he's a good player, but again, like, is he going to be a guy that gets played off the floor being a bigger guy that doesn't play much defense? Like, Guys like that don't really stay on the floor very, very much in the playoffs. I mean, you look at a guy like Ryan Anderson or whatever million, you name it. Eighteen million dollars for nothing from Ryan Anderson. Yeah, eighteen million I mean, dollars to get torched as soon as he enters the game. They're completely different players, <laughs> so I mean that's unfair. But like, I don't know. I think I do think it's worth wondering, like, what kind of player would Dirk would be if he were entering the league now? And like, obviously, I think Markin has a long way to go to to be to really serve him. Actually, mentioned in the same sentence as Dirk, but. 
Yeah, the Dirk thing is just too easy. I mean, it's just come on, you know. Anybody like, I'm surprised Mo Wagner, who's a second round pick, isn't getting Dirk comparisons right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you, you just can't with the Dirk thing. All right, let's keep it. Let's keep this thing moving. Um, I want to touch on this last big because he's the last big probably in the lottery, maybe outside of Robert Williams, who will be much later on, and that's Wendell Carter. Wendell Carter Jr. from Duke. Uh, I'm very high on this guy. I think he's a very surefire pick to be a 15-year NBA player. I think this guy has many tools that are transferable, whether it be touch, finishing with both hands, rim protection, passing, uh, prove the ability to play next to somebody like Marvin Bagley, who's a versatile athletic big. A lot of those rebounds, when I was watching Marvin Bagley's tape, came via the box out from Wendell Carter. He seems like a great kid from all the reports. What do you make of Wendell Carter, Gabe? Yeah, I'm I'm in on Wendell Carter too. I think he's a great fit for a team like Dallas that, you know, Carlisle really just wants a center that's going to do his job and and you know, make sound decisions and and be there to protect the rim, which I think Carter can do and he can slide his feet on the perimeter. So again, this is a big man type of model of player that I that I'm going to be that I'm going to tend to be favoring over you know, uh, these other guys, but just to, just to touch on another point, I think, you know, Robert Williams and Mitchell, Mitchell Robertson, Mitchell Robinson are definitely, uh, two guys that could sneak into that lottery picture. You said obviously Rob, but the, it's the Robs now. Right. Oh, Robert Williams and Mitchell Robinson. Yeah. Ah, I yeah. see. I don't know much. I don't, I'm going to be quite honest. I don't know much about Mitchell Robinson. Isn't he one of the, uh, reclassified bigs? Uh, like, he wasn't in college this year. Well, yeah, he was. Well, he was going to be at Western Kentucky, and then it was like a weird thing where he just, you know, he didn't end up playing for them. Basically, like long story, but <laughs> very long story short, he just didn't play. <laughs> but he's still a first round pick, most likely. Um, yeah. So Wendell Carter Jr. I once got into a little bit of a Twitter scuffle that I didn't mean to get into. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Jason <laughs> McIntyre. Fox Sports One, the big league. Oh, All right. Right. So yeah, I, I'm actually, you know, I like his work for the most part. He put out his mock draft before the NCAA tournament, his, his like too early mock draft. And I actually really liked it. I, I thought it was interesting. I thought he had some really good points. But there was one thing that stood out to me that was crazy. And he had Wendell Carter going about 18th or 17th or something like that. Yeah, so, that's pretty crazy. I, it was in the middle of the college season and he, he, this is uh, the rest of the story here. So I respectfully replied to him. I said, you know, I really enjoyed that mock draft. Just one question. Um, I've been, I've seen Wendell Carter top 10 in every mock draft. Like, why do you have him so low? And he got a little defensive about it. Basically, uh, he, he did say, though, that he didn't look at other mock drafts to make his. He did his from scratch, which I really respect. And he goes, uh, you know, who, who has them top 10? Why would you take a traditional big man uh, where the the traditional big man is actually getting faded out of the league or whatever he said. And I was basically saying, well, actually, he is a skilled shooter that just isn't given the opportunity and has been shooting more and more as the season gone on. He can use both hands. He protects the rim. He's a good passer, yada, yada, yada. And now he's obviously a top 10 pick almost across the board from every draft I've ever seen. Uh, and then one day during a Duke game, Jason McIntyre, like a week or two later, comes at me on Twitter and says, uh, after Wendell Carter airballed like a mid-range jump shot, 
<laughs> he said, "What's your man doing now? Like this guy can't shoot." <laughs> so oh he, man, he def- I definitely got in his head. I think just, a little. Just bit. wait till he throws up his first air ball in the pros. He's yeah. gonna be coming for you. Hey, I don't care as long as he drafted top ten. I was right. <laughs> but does Wendell Carter fit the modern NBA? Because I think it's a no-brainer. Is there? Yeah, like- I think I think it's a no-brainer too. I think some. I think you pretty much hit it on hit the nail on the head in terms of I think. He was a guy that was made to look a little more boring than he was. And it's not to say that Bagley's a bad teammate or anything, but again, you have Bagley kind of being the guy who operates on the perimeter, or you had Carter kind of throwing, doing, they had a pretty good inside out game, uh, inside out passing game where Carter would maybe hit Bagley or, or in reverse. More often, Carter would be hitting Bagley down low from, from up top. So, I mean, he's a good passer. He's good on both. He's a good defender. He can switch out to the perimeter, he can protect the rim. He can do pretty much everything you want on both ends of the floor for, for that position. Um, I don't, yeah, I mean, I think the most, cl- the most obvious thing to me that, that, uh, makes him stand out is if, when you watch him play like a couple games when like Bagley missed and he was really able to show like more of what he can do. Um, and, and Duke was playing a little bit more kind of small ball. My, so. my, my tidbit on Wendell Carter that I kind of came up with while watching uh, film the past, just the past couple days specifically Wendell Carter was there to make Marvin Bagley look better. Marvin Bagley was not there to make Wendell Carter look better. Yeah, facts. I would say that's true. So I know Kevin O'Connor on The Ringer put out an article that Wendell Carter, you know, obviously not saying definite, but he he made the case. Yeah, I haven't gotten to it yet. Spoilers, though. Go ahead. Good read, but no, I mean, it's in the title. He, He made the case that Wendell Carter will be a better NBA player than Marvin Bagley, more effective, better prospect, yada, yada, yada. And in that sense, I, I totally get that because all these rebounds, you know, it's like the, the Steven Adams effect on Russell Westbrook. If you look at the box out versus rebound statistics, Steven Adams leads the league in box outs and is like middle of the pack on rebounds. Because Russell Westbrook's taking all the rebounds, but Steven Adams doing the dirty work. And I saw the similar uh, concept there with Carter and Bagley. So where's your best fit for Wendell Carter Jr.? Yeah, I think I mentioned Dallas. I, I really like him in Dallas. So uh, I don't think that. it's going to happen. Right. I think you know there's probably going to be somebody else uh, that slips that they really like. Maybe a Jaron Jackson slips that far, or you know Doncic or somebody. I don't know, but I think he's a really good fit there. I don't know if I don't know. Point is, it's it's not like he's not a sexy pick. It, at the end of the day, like he's he's definitely not a sexy pick. If, if if you get too hopped up in thinking about, oh, like numbers and, and whatnot, sometimes that's when you miss, though. I don't think he'll ever average more than 16 points. Yeah, and, and, and yet he might, his teams might, he might always be on the better team than what, Aiton or, or, you know, Bagel. Yeah. And it may be uh, all about fit. I mean, he may just get drafted to a better team, right? Like, who knows? He may get drafted to the Sixers and somehow fit next to Embiid or just really back up Embiid because Embiid isn't made to play 35 minutes a night. And yeah. and he'll be super successful, and he'll be like Al Horford. We don't know. But, I, yeah, uh, we see the Horford comparisons a lot. I like those. Um, Justin Yoon for, for our site, for Lowry Mafia, put out a profile of Carter today, actually, and he had a couple interesting comparisons that I hadn't seen yet. Um, the floor being Rob, Rob Lopez. Okay. Uh, and, and uh, ceiling being uh, Chris Weber. Oh. So those were two that I and his reasoning being that you know those are those two guys are a little bit better defend uh, sorry not defenders rebounders than Horford. Right, it's a good and, point. Yeah. It, actually, I like, I like the Chris Webber thing. Chris Webber seems a little bit more athletic in his day, 
So, yeah, he's a little sexier. He does a little more, you know. Yeah. He's got a lot more flair. But but, but. The, the concept is definitely there, for sure. Um, all right, let's keep this thing moving. I want to talk about some wings now because I, even though I, I hammer this home and I really believe we're in an era where point guards get too much hype, bigs get too much hype, and the league is still run by dominant wings, there aren't dominant wings, in my opinion, outside of Luka Doncic in this draft. So Gabe Allen joining me. Gabe Mikel Bridges, Kevin Knox, Miles Bridges, Lonnie Walker, Michael Porter. These are the guys who seem to be in that 7 to 14 range. Who do you like and who do you not like? Yeah, see, I'll go against the green again. I'll say I really like Miles Bridges. I think he's a guy that has star upside um, on both ends. I think he's a really good modern four. I, for, for the article that I wrote, I had him slotted in at four to Memphis as kind of like a high, almost like a modern Zebo, like where he's hitting, you know, he's hitting the three at 40% and he's switching out to the perimeter and playing defense and also being, you know, having that same grit and grind that to bang and, and play tough. So, you know, I think he's a guy that if he slips, he could end up being, we could look back and say, wow, how, we don't really know how that happened. I'm, I'm a fan of both bridges guys. I think, um, you know, it just comes down to fit. I think, Mikhail is probably not going to be at the four. I think he's probably more two or three. So I think the fit fit there is important. I would say Miles probably has a little more upside just offensively. But you know, I think those two guys those two guys have a great chance to really be good to really be good pros. Where do you, um, where do you fit Kevin Knox in this scenario? Kevin Knox, uh, I'm a little bit lower on him, I guess, compared to some people. I see, yeah, compared to NBA Draft on Net, they're up at 10. So I think there's always a case to be made for Kentucky guys. I would, if I were going to bet on one of the Kentucky guys, though, I would take Gilgis Alexander. I know he's not a, I mean, he's kind of a wing. He's point guard wing, kind of hybrid. But I think, you know, he was the only three point shooter on that team. Who? Uh, Gilgis Alexander or Knox? Kevin, Kevin Knox. Yeah, Kevin yeah. Knox, excuse me. Yeah. So yeah, they pretty yeah. much used him as like a shooting guard. And, they, you know, the team was put together pretty horribly and it wasn't coached much better. Uh, so, you know, there's, and you look at the recent years, guys like Devin Booker or whatever, that seems like there's always guys at Kentucky that kind of fall through the cracks. Right. So here, here's my question or scenario or theory, whatever I'm going to lay out for you. I want to uh, hear what you think on this. So I'm comparing Kevin Knox to Mikel Bridges, right? So Mikel Bridges is this junior who has gotten better and better each and every year. Uh, he started out as a freshman. He still played 20 minutes, but only averaged six or seven points. Then he got up to nine, ten points. And last year he burst onto the scene, averaged, I think, uh, 16 or 17 points. I forget off the top of my head, uh, but was up there. He was one of the best players on the best team in the league. He won two national championships in his career. Uh, he has an illustrious career, and he really you know, climbed the draft board Every year, last year, obviously making the biggest impact. He averaged almost 18 points, I just checked. The way I look at it, if you let Kevin Knox have two more years in the NCAA, to see what he would have been able to do would have been phenomenal. I think, in a way, Kevin Knox is being uh, you know, pe- penalized by being a freshman compared to the Mikel Bridges, which does which does not always happen in the NBA draft. So Kevin Knox averaged, you know, almost 16 points, five rebounds, an assist and a half, 34% from three, 
Can you imagine what he would have looked like as a junior in college basketball? And when yeah, I think I mean, about I think, when I think about that, ahead, it sorry. makes me really hard pressed to rank Mikel Bridges as this better prospect. When I think Knox is just a slightly less uh, less of a shooter, but is better at a lot of be- other things. So, so am I crazy on that theory? Yeah, I mean. I better at a lot of. I would say that Knox is the. Only, I would say the only thing that I'm comfortable projecting Knox as better at is scoring. Um, like getting to the rim, the mid range game, the floater. Just game. Just like pure scoring. Like I think he's a. I think his role in the NBA is going to be like a scoring four, whereas I think Bridges is probably going to be more two and three. He's not really like as uh, beefy down low, or his, or his lower body's not as strong. You know, Bridges. Excuse me. So, do you do you think the the multiple college years like does that make any difference for you in the projection of Bridges or Knox? Um, and I guess either Bridges since Miles stayed for two as well. Yeah, to me, I think I think well, I think Miles improved his stock because I think he showed that he can score in a lot more ways than he was than he was as a freshman. Um, obviously, McHale improved his stock a lot. I think, you know, everybody's different. I don't know that Kevin Knox would necessarily improve his stock if he stayed because, you know, the longer you stay, sometimes the longer, you know, the the more people nitpick. It depends how much better you really get and whether Calipari puts together a roster that, you know, actually highlights his strengths, which I, you know, obviously wasn't the case this year. Right. Or at Kentucky, you always have the uh, chance of being outshined by a new freshman. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, you have, you're basically expected a lot of these teams, well, Kentucky and Duke anyways especially it's like if you don't and you're expected to be one and done and then it's like if you're not going to the NBA then it's like well we probably got somebody better coming in to take your spot so all right so I'm at the point now where I need to ask you a very specific question not about a specific player and where they should go but it's quite the opposite where we've talked about uh, maybe 11 or 12 prospects here, and we jumped over my New York Knicks. And this is the Sports Blog New York podcast, so I need to hear from you if these guys are off the board. So this is, so far, who's off the board. I'm going to do my best guess on who's going to be available for the Knicks here, and I want you to make the picks as if you were the New York Knicks, all right? Okay. So off the board includes DeAndre Ayton, Marvin Bagley, Jaron Jackson, Luka Doncic, Trey Young, Mohamed Bamba, uh, and Wendell Carter. Everybody else is in play. Okay. Who do you take if you are the New York Knicks? I think probably I would probably go with Miles Bridges. Miles Bridges. I think so. Yeah, I think I I think I would go with him over over McHale. Just I think he has a little bit more star potential on the offensive end, and I think he's a guy again like. Maybe Porzingis isn't a guy that you want to have play a ton of minutes at the center, especially during the regular season. But if and when the playoffs happen for New York, let's hope for your sake and for your listeners' sake. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, I think Miles is the perfect guy to put down at the four next to Porzingis. So, to me, then you have the front court or the, at least the four and five spots really figured out. You can kind of build from there. Who may you consider to be a bad pick for the New York Knicks? If you were the Nick, or you, if you were a Knicks fan and you heard a name get called at the number nine slot, who would you be like, "Ooh, I don't know about that one." Man, I hate to say it, but it might be Kevin Knox. I don't know. Uh, be honest, man. Be honest. Let it rip. 
Let it rip. Yeah, I'm. I mean, oh yeah, that would really surprise me if Kevin Knox or or like a, or Colin Sexton. Even as much as I would say I really enjoy Colin Sexton, but that would be really surprising to me. I mean, if the Knicks took Colin Sexton, that would basically peg Frank Nealakina as a two guard. Yeah. Or a combo two guard where they both kind of combo, I guess, right? But they're both not great shooters. That's why there's the Knicks- not a, there's not a lot of guys in this range where I would be like, oh, that's a you know bad pick. I think, and I think especially kind of the consensus for, I mean, I don't know. I guess yeah, I haven't really seen as many places with Knox so high. A ten to me is fairly high. Well, Knox oh. has, Knox has been climbing uh, in the you know folding chair workouts you know he, yeah he looks real. i think he looks really good in those uh the knicks have been linked to them as like very much so lately ian begley has been tweeting out a lot of things that the new york front office is into Knox. they're also into lonnie walker do you think lonnie walker is a huge reach at nine i mean definitely a reach but huge or not i don't know again it's like i think you mentioned him before i'm not sure if we really got to talk about him much but he's a guy he i think he had a torn meniscus last summer Correct. And he was, and he, you know, he didn't hit stride till till uh, Bruce Brown was went down with his injury, at half, you know, halfway through the season. And so, you know, again, this is a guy. But okay, so I actually have a, a report coming out on him tomorrow, and uh, oh well, for the Knicks, yeah. So I might as well bring this up. So my comp for him is Iman Shumpert. Is it the hair? Uh, it's kind of a low low end comp, I guess. Is it the hair? Uh, it might be, but. <laughs> I mean, Shumpert wasn't a really a very good a very good shooter in college. Obviously, he didn't really develop that as a uh, in the NBA, and that was kind of his downfall. But you know, you had this really athletic guy, and and he barely made it outside the lottery. I think like the seventeen the Knicks had him at yeah. that year. Um, and you know, I, just to me, it's like that kind of archetype is a guy that's not gonna. He's probably not gonna fall that far. I mean, it's a deep draft. Maybe he'll maybe Walker will fall into the twenties. But yeah, to me, I would be less surprised to see him fall into the twenties than to see him go to like New York or Philly at nine ten. Very interesting. Very interesting. Um, all right, I'm just gonna go on record because I feel like I need to do this, and I've been really kicking around who I think the Knicks should take, and I've been stuck, and I, I, I don't know if I'm buying the hype. I don't know if I've watched too many workouts against a broomstick. I think Kevin Knox is the pick. For the New York right. Knicks. I like it. Followed by the Miles Bridges that you said, by the way. All right. I do like right. I was really close to saying it's Miles Bridges, it's Miles Bridges. But I like Knox. I think his shot is actually better than uh, advertised. He was struggling with his shot earlier on in the year. And that 34% is a good 34 because it started lower. And that was the same thing with like Lonzo Ball last year. You know how Lonzo Ball was shooting 28% for a lot of the year? He ended at like 33-34, which still right, looks right. looks pretty bad. But that means the second half was a plus uh, portion of the season rather than um, all bad. So it averaged out to be bad still technically, but it was a lot better towards the end. So I like Knox. I think his, his physicality is legit. Um, these Kentucky guys, I feel like once they get to the league, they go two directions. A, they settle. And B, they're like, I need to prove myself because I didn't get to when I was in college, and I'm banking on Knox wanting to prove himself once he makes it here. But I would be very happy with Miles Bridges, number two. Right, I like it. Yeah, I mean, <sighs> we, we all want to be surprised. you know. So I think it's it's, it's always interesting when somebody kind of sneaks, sneaks in the way Knox has and, and maybe ends up kind of shocking everybody. All so. right, so Gabe, for you, I want you to predict 
who the Philadelphia 76ers are going to take. And then we're going to finish off on a couple last prospects we need to touch on the lottery. I'm going to say they go with Mikhail Bridges. I think that's the boring thing that everybody's predicting, but it just seems too too true. It's like too, too, it's like too easy right there too. Yeah, yeah. It's just I can't get my I can't. It's kind of like with Trey Young and, and Orlando. I just can't really picture anything else right now. Interesting. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna leave that one there because I it's hard to disagree with it. Uh, so let's talk about these two point guards who are very very expected to be lottery picks. That's Colin Sexton and Shea Gilgis Alexander. What do you like about Colin? What do you don't not like about Colin? And the same thing for Shea. Well, I think. Anybody who has ever played basketball or even watched basketball, you kind of have to love his spirit, Colin, that is. Uh, I mean, if you can't enjoy watching him get after it on defense, then I'm not sure we can be friends. I'll just put it that way. Um, (laughs) I I think, you know, this is a guy I'm definitely lower on the consensus. I think he's a first-round pick, but I think in the lottery might be really high expectations on that, on him and, you know, I just think there are a lot of questions in terms of his shooting. He wasn't really a great playmaker in terms of uh, assist to turnover ratio. He didn't really, I think he averaged like three, three and a half or something assists. Not that many assists. I, I would go Shea Gilgis Alexander over him. I think he's just a more well rounded player. I believe in his shot more. I think he feels the game a little bit better. He's longer. Uh, for me, it's for me. I would, I would, de- I would be surprised if Sexton went ahead of Shea. Really. Just personally, yeah. For a, I think from a personal ranking or what you expect might happen. I think both. Okay. I think both. More uh, so, more so personally. I, but I, I, I think Collins a surefire lottery pick. I think Shea is ninety five percent going to be a lottery pick with a chance to fall to like fifteen, sixteen. Well, who was um, it that was reporting to? Was it Stein? Mark Stein that was reporting today that Toronto. Yes. He's looking to move into like the top 10 or something to get him. Mm-hmm. Top 11, or 11, 10 or something it was. Or flip with the Clippers at 12, 13 as well. Right, right. Yeah, so, I mean, I think they're, you know, yeah, I think either I think either one or both could be could be lottery. I think I would go with SGA if I had to pick one. Uh, another about- thing, you know, that I haven't mentioned too much on this podcast that I usually do, and I'm almost upset with myself that I haven't brought it up till now, it, it's important to note what these guys' career arcs might look like. For example, I think Marvin Bagley is going to hit, uh, I think you probably figured this out by listening, but I think he's going to hit a high mark quickly, but there's not going to be a huge arc throughout the rest of his career. Uh, in the contrary, I think um, Shea Gilgis Alexander is going to be a guy who comes into this league and is a solid defender, but is going to average six points and three and a half assists and not really look like a spark on offense. But then by year four or five, I see him becoming maybe a 15-point, seven-assist guy, very good defender for, like, the rest of his career. If you that see, makes a, sense. see a little Sean Livingston there? Absolutely. Absolutely. I see I see a little Sean Livingston. I see a, I see a touch of Frank Nielakina. Obviously, Frank hasn't hit that arc yet either, but just the, with that length and size and the way they kind of move fluidly rather than explosively. It's like you watch Colin Sexton, and he is, like, flying all over the court. He's trying to dunk on people. He's up near the rim. Shea glides across the court. He right, right. he values decelerating as much as accelerating. So I don't know if he's gonna like come into the league and and like really light it up, almost like Mike Conley as well. When I was watching some of Shea Gilgis Alexander tape, he uses both hands. He reminded me a little bit of Mike Conley using like more crafty finishes in and around the lane rather than just like exploding to the rim. 
Yeah, okay. I see that. And uh, the shooting. I mean, you said Colin Sexton's shooting kind of scares you. Does Shea Gilders-Alexander's lack of uh, spacing scare you at all? Yeah, I mean, sure, it's a concern. But it was definitely a small sample size, but I think he shot it decently well this year. And, yeah, I don't know. I just kind of believe in the shot. It doesn't look brutal to me. And, you know, he's a guy, Sexton the same, both really hard workers. You know, you hear stories of Shea. It's like he's the first guy there. He's there at 7 in the morning working on a shot every day. So, like, you know, it went from being – uh, from being a backup to then it was like this is his team by the end of the year so i think you know i just think okay so what what's your what's your uh take on who would you rather the knicks pick between those two if the if they somehow end up drafting the point guard they think maybe frank is is better off as like a kind of like a two maybe based off i mean even though like having shay and frank next to each other seems like an incredible defensive backcourt <laughs> like almost too good defensively, both 6'6 with ridiculous wingspans. I don't think that's enough firepower from the guard position. I think you would need like that fire and ice. That's not the right analogy, but I think you need the the two different looks with Colin and Frank being very different players. I think they would benefit from, you know, giving up some some ball sharing. Interesting. Uh, you know what I mean? So I, I, yeah. think, I think with Shea and Frank, they're almost too similar. Even though that could That's be really interesting, I think uh, I think I'd rather get some versatility there between the two. I see where you're coming from. That's interesting. Yeah, so that's where I would land there. But okay. I, I I don't know, like, you know, I don't I don't love Trey Young with the with the Knicks. I think the New York hype is just not right for him. Uh, would you take Colin Sexton over him? <sighs> if there was a world where Trey Young's available at nine, Colin Sexton's available at nine. It would be very hard to pass up on Trey Young, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm I would have I would have to go with Trey. But I wouldn't. I would still. I think I would pick any of those wings. Be Mikael, Miles, or Knox over any of those guys. I think. But okay. You, but you know, as soon as that happens, that as soon as the Knicks pass on Trey Young in a hypothetical world, he doesn't get picked before them. It's gonna be like, oh, we missed Steph Curry again. <laughs> it's gonna happen. Most definitely. Uh, I see the next Twitter happening already. All right, Gabe, this has been great stuff so far. I'm pretty sure we hit on every lottery guy, the only guy we haven't touched on yet. Uh, give me a quick minute, quick minute on Robert Williams from Texas A&M, the big man. Yeah, I mean, I think the Clint Capella comparisons are are pretty fair, pretty apt. I mean, obviously we don't know whether he's going to end up being that level of player. It took Clint Capella a long time to to become the player he is today, so – you know, I think he's a guy, another guy that thinks the game well. He played out of position, like a lot of these big men. He was playing the four uh, next to Tyler Davis. Um, there's some questions, maybe maturity-wise. Uh, he had some some instances where he, you know, suspended and and whatnot. Um, but you know, I think at a certain point, this is a this is a guy to me where like I had him on the fringe of the lottery, maybe even on the outside. Maybe I think I had him at 15 to Washington in my piece that I wrote last week. And, but I think this is a guy where he could definitely, I could definitely see him being a guy that exceeds an Aiton or a Bagley in terms really? of his actual impact on the game. Wow. Does the Fareed comparison scare you? Uh, no, I don't see that because Fareed, I mean, he doesn't really have that kind of length. He's not really, I mean, I think, I think Williams listed at like a seven, five wingspan. Yeah. He's lanky. He's only six, nine on the list, but, he is a guy who has the the wingspan. I'll check it right now while we talk. Yeah, I mean he he wasn't at the um, 
the draft combine. So I don't know if the, how, you know, we don't know how the, the, accurate the numbers are. But right. The ringer has him at 7-5 wingspan. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And one place we'll so. definitely see Robert Williams is the dunk contest. Because <laughs> that dude <laughs> threw down windmill dunks in the NCAA tournament last year that were absolutely incredible. There are some definite dunk contest, uh, you know, possibilities in this in this class. I think Zaire Smith will be a factor in that too. Absolutely, absolutely, that is correct. All right, let's keep this thing moving. So we talked about all the lottery guys. Uh, I think you got a good feeling of who we like and who we don't like. What type of players we look for. But now this is where it gets kind of fun and really interesting for me. This is where I like taking those risks, those like random guys that that casual fan hasn't heard of, but I randomly watched as much YouTube video I could find on them. Uh, I know, Gabe, you do the same thing, even though you do, you are a member of the Lottery Mafia. I know you dive deep into some of these other guys as well. So give me one of your non-lottery, you know, first, late first, early second round picks that really stands out to you as a possible sleeper in this draft. Well, I think a guy like Kevin Hurd just got hurt. Uh, he could definitely be a, be a sleeper if he slips into the 20s. He's a guy who can shoot the ball. Uh, I think he's a little bit underrated on defense. He can make some plays above the rim, uh, blocking some shots, and he's not a bad. Sli- uh, he's not bad at sliding his feet. He can pass the ball pretty well. Um, to me, this is a really deep class. So, you know, there's a whole bunch of guys that could. Uh, I mean, I'll, before I name anyone else, I'll turn the question around on you. Yeah, I guess we could rapid fire a couple of these guys. So let's just rapid fire back and forth a couple of these guys. Uh, obviously give a quick reaction to the person that I say, and I'll give a quick reaction to the person you say. First thing, Kevin Herter, he's also not small. He's six foot seven. That guy has some real length. They used him in a weird way at Maryland where they would put him at, like, the top of the key, like, foul line area in, like, t- to break zones, and then he'd, like, pop out to the wings, and he could just chuck. Well, I like Kevin Herter. My guy uh, could be as early as, like, 18, probably in, like, the 22 range. I'm going to go Elia Kobo out of France. He is a lefty who is nifty, has a insane package once he gets in the, in the uh, lane with spin off the glass and floaters. And he also has every move that James Harden does, just obviously not as good. I swear to God, it's an easy comparison. But if you look up Ellie Okobo on YouTube right now, watch any clip you can, you are so hard-pressed to not be like, holy crap, that guy studies everything that James Harden does. And that, whoa, make, that whoa, makes me excited. Whoa. Hello. Have you watched any Elia Kobo? Uh, a little bit, yeah. I haven't heard the James Harden comparison, but wow, whoa, whoa, we whoa. Yeah, that's all I'll say. I like it. He, nice. dropped, he dropped 44 a couple weeks back in a playoff game in France, and the step-back threes, the sidestep threes, with the lefty release, I was like, oh, my God, this guy. I want him. I want him somewhere where he could just chuck. I want him to get unleashed. Yeah, I mean, to me, definitely an interesting guy to keep an eye on. I think... For me, he's a guy I would definitely consider over Sexton. Wow, uh, I like that. You know, he's—they're he, not sure if he's a one or a two, and that's kind of the same thing as Sexton, except this guy's got seemingly more touch, a little less pop. So, well, I think I think Sexton's probably going to have to play the one. I don't know if he's really big enough to to play at the two at the two spot. That's, but yeah, especially defensively. Yeah. All right, who's your next guy? Um. Well. We'll give a shout out to Dante DiVincenzo. There you go. I'm, I'm, I think I'm higher on him than most people. I have him as a good fit at 17 to Milwaukee. So I think Ooh. you know he's a guy that does a little bit of everything: scores, passes, defends. He's a really good athlete. Is he Malcolm Brogdon or Jace though? 
Um, well, I don't think that I don't think that there's anything wrong with having more than one Malcolm Brogdon on your team. That's a good point. So yeah, this, actually, trying to think. No, no, he wasn't a guy that compared him compared him to actually. But you know, a, again, a guy that can do a little bit of everything, Brogdon, and a pretty good athlete too. In in terms of, he's pretty underrated sneaky, in that regard. Sneaky, yeah, sneaky athlete for sure. Yeah. So I think I think you know you you see you've seen them in recent years or at least last year uh, they drafted like um, DJ Wilson I think it was and uh, you know he, trying to fill that kind of that four spot and kind of draft for position when maybe they just need to just keep loading up on wings like I think they made their better pick was in their second round was Sterling Brown yeah Sterling Brown ended up making a a good run uh, into that rotation at the end of the year I like Divincenzo here's my thing with guys like him and I feel bad doing this. Those flashes in the pan that come out in the NCAA tournament, not to say he didn't have a good season, but the people who kind of get that national hype at the end of the year always kind of scare me. I mean, whether it be a Frank Mason who has been in in the NCAA for multiple years or a freshman like him or his teammate Amari Spellman who seemingly burst into the draft uh, conversation, you know, on the NCAA tournament run, always kind of give me some pause. And I tend to just be a little bit cold on those guys. Even last year with Josh Hart from Villanova. Turns out he seems like he's going to be an NBA player for like 12 to 15 years. I was like wrong and I didn't want to touch that because I wasn't sure if it was inflated by the Villanova system and their overall talent from a team standpoint. If that makes sense. It's probably unfair. It's kind of how I feel about some of these guys. Yeah, to me, I I like that comparison. I mean, he was pretty much his understudy, Hart. Uh, Josh Hart's understudy. Right. So, I mean, I kind of that was actually one of the guys that I compared him to, him and like a more athletic Matt Delvadova. If we're gonna go for the boring racial comparison, <laughs> uh, but yeah, like, I mean, to me, he's a guy. At least for me, this is a guy that I can totally understand your point about him getting all this hype at the end of the year. Some of it deserve. I mean, obviously, deservedly so uh, from that championship game. But to me, this is a guy where like. You know, I, I was watching him a lot during the year, and I was like, "Oh, this guy is really consistent. Really does does everything that you kind of want." And this is kind of a guy that I was like, "Oh, kicking myself. Why didn't you write something about him before <laughs> the tournament?" <laughs> I feel that. All right, my next guy, I'm going with Chandler Hutchinson out of Boise State. He's a you know six seven, two hundred pound wing who is a uh, he actually a senior. He went through all four years. Yeah. So this year he was asked to be the main guy from a scoring standpoint for Boise State, and he answered that call. I mean, he averaged over 22 points, 23 points a game. He could shoot the three ball. He's big. He's got wide shoulders. He's not slow. I think his lack of foot speed shows up more on the defensive end, but from an offensive standpoint, this guy kind of has a little bit of everything. He can shoot the three ball. He gets in the lane. He's a smart player. Uh, In that 22 to 26 range, I think some teams could really use him. I'm looking at Portland, who, you know, yeah, they have Evan Turner, but Evan Turner's inability to shoot the three, like, crushes them. every like uh, Just watching them can be frustrating. So any wing they can get their hands on who can put the ball on the floor a little bit and shoot the three sounds exciting to me. With a little Is he bit. the Kyle Kuzma of this draft class? Uh, you know, that's actually not bad. I think that's not bad at all. He has, like, some sneaky hops. I like that. Yeah, I'll 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 give you that. Kyle Kuzma in this draft class, Chandler Hutchinson from Boise State. More of a three than a four, but yes. All right. Who's your next guy? Uh, I'll go with DeAnthony Melton from USC again. Uh, just another guy that we didn't see him this year. Uh, USC 
held him out, uh, you know, hoping to cover for themselves uh, for all the NCAA things going on. And, you know, just a guy that does a little bit of everything. We'll see whether that jumper turns into something that's reliable. Uh, you know, we've only seen right ch- the, the uh, shooting over chairs and stuff. But, uh, you know, he brings a lot to the table. He's got good size for a guard. He defends well. Uh, really good athlete. So I think he's – this is from USC, D'Anthony Melton. So I think he's he's another guy who could kind of creep into that lottery range. And he's also, you know, possible like early second rounder. So he's one of those guys – with such a wide variation. And there's a lot of guys in this draft. I mean, the next guy I'm going to talk about uh, can be as early as a late lottery to, like, the early 20s, and that's Troy Brown from Oregon. He is a lengthy 2-3 guard who can put the ball on the floor. He can finish all types of ways inside the paint. He's a strong finisher. His shot's a little bit weird, but overall, I like the jump shot. I think he projects to be at least a competent shooter, especially from, like, the corner area. Uh, Troy, ba- Troy Brown from Oregon is somebody who I really like uh, just based off the athleticism and the, the skill that he showed at Oregon. Two more guys that I like real quick, Josh Okogi and Kenrich Williams. Shout out to the NIT. Uh, they were both stars at the NIT last year. Who was the, in- the second guy you mentioned? Kenrich Williams from TCU. I think this is a guy – you know, you, we talked about the bias uh, that tends to exist towards the seniors. This is a senior guy. Um, I think he's going to be turning 24, so he's older. But he does a lot. Of, he does a lot of good stuff. I think he's. A, I think he has a chance to be a really good four. Uh, a lot of th- good three and D, three and D skills. He's a good passer. He's a good outside shooter. Smart player. Uh, I think he's a guy that could end up in the first round one of these kind of win now i mean all the teams in the late 20s are kind of win now teams so i mean he's a guy that does a little bit of everything so like a team like the pacers maybe they're afraid that thad young's not going to stay or uh you know as backup because they didn't really have much behind him at the four spot or like portland really didn't have many guys that could make up could catch the ball after mccullum and lillard were trapped by uh the pelicans in the playoffs get a guy like kenner Williams that can make catch the ball and make, then make a play, whether it be a drive, pass, or you know, a shot, something. So he's a guy like, and Joshua Kogi went to Georgia Tech. Uh, he's just he's a really big guard, probably, and he has I think he has like a seven foot wingspan. He can really score the ball, shoot the ball from beyond the arc, and I think he has a lot of defensive potential. So you know, guys like that, kind of like under the radar, definitely guys that you want to keep an eye out for. Absolutely. One more guy I'll add to that bunch is Kyrie Thomas out of Creighton upperclassman as well but he's just like a extremely high motor individual who has the makings of a very good defensive player uh i project him to be a bench player so don't get it twisted i don't think he's some diamond in the rough who's going to be an all-star or even uh even likely a starter but when i see him i see the possibilities of being a very quality defender from one to three the point guard shooting guard small forward they can guard all them he's very athletic Kyrie thomas out of creighton uh, two guys who I'm just extremely interested in. I don't know if they're going to be good. I don't know what they're going to look like on the NBA level, but I, don't, I know they're going to get drafted, and I just want to see the fit because the fit is everything for these guys, and that includes Anthony Simmons, who's coming out of high school. He re- reclassified to make himself eligible for this draft, and then also Grayson Allen, who we all know a lot about uh, from his years at Duke. Anthony Simmons, Grayson Allen, opposite ends of the spectrum. One guy stayed four years in college. One guy jumped college. They're probably late first, early seconds. 
I have no idea what their career is going to look like, but I'm here to watch it. Yeah, I don't have much of a feel for Simons, I'll be honest. Oh, is it Simons? That's my apologies. I think it's Simons. I could be wrong. No, I, think I think it's you, I, think, I think it's 1M. I could be mispronouncing it. No, you are, you are I know correct. it's 1M. I think it's Simons as well, actually. But whatever. Anthony Simons, Simmons, that guy. Anthony. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll know the name soon enough. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, Grayson Allen, to me, definitely an interesting player to keep an eye on. I, I love the Danny Ainge comparison. Um, just a you know three point three point shooter, does a little bit of everything. Just a really tough competitor, I, and you know we'll see how much he's matured over over his time. You know he's not going to be able to get away with the crap that he's pulling in college. So, so we'll see how that goes. Little reality check for Grayson Allen as well. Once he uh, walks into an NBA locker room, that's good stuff though. Yo, Gabe Allen, the Lottery Mafia. Check out his. His personal mock draft, it's not about who he thinks is going first. It's who should go first, the best fits. It's the best-case best scenario draft. That's, is that a good thing to call it? Uh, Yeah. That's not I bad. Think so. it's not, I think so. It could be better, but it's not bad. We can work on the marketing, advertising yeah. <laughs> for it. We can come up with a good slogan. That's it. All right, Gabe, this has been a lot of fun. I'm glad I got you back on to talk NBA draft. We talked about upwards of like 25 players, so we got a lot in. And I'm just looking forward to Thursday. But, Gabe, you have any last words for the Sports Blog New York podcast? Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me on. This is fun. Might have to get you now just uh, not, not to ask too much of you. I don't want to, you know, burden you or, or, uh, <laughs> or, you know, dry you out. But maybe a reaction pod in a couple weeks. We'll see. Talk about some picks we like, don't like. We'll do a shorter one. We'll do one that's like we'll, we'll give you a 15-minute 20 spot maybe. <laughs> I'll say I'll say yes to the invite, and then we'll see on how short we can make it. <laughs> yeah, that's always the the challenge. <laughs> that is correct. All right, Gabe, thank you very much, man. Thank you. All right, well, thank you so much for listening today to the Sports Block New York podcast. You heard it here first from Gabe Allen and Pete Kennedy. That's me. Thank you so much for listening. And if you are still listening here, an hour and twenty minutes into this program. Don't be afraid to drop some stars, leave a little rating and a review on iTunes and Apple Podcasts app. It would mean the world to me. It would mean the world to Sportsblog New York. We appreciate you lending your ear to listen to what we have to say about the world of sports and about the world of the New York sports. But without further ado, you enjoy your week. You enjoy the NBA draft. Tell us who you think the Knicks should pick in the review, maybe. I don't know. Whatever you prefer. But if you drop some stars, drop a like, drop a subscribe, it means the world to us. So thank you for listening.